Well, brothers and sisters, this afternoon we're going to be continuing in our walk through the book of Hebrews, uh, continuing in Hebrews chapter 12. We've read the entirety of the chapter several times. We'll go ahead and read um, <clears throat> through verse uh, 17 today. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Be not weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and chastises every son whom he loves. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment of all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness which out with, without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent though he sought it with tears. Let us pray. Father, we praise you for this, your word. We pray that you would help us to give attention to it, to receive it as such. We pray that you'd rest upon us by your spirit to mold us and shape us, to plant your, your word, your truth deep within us. For our roots, which are rooted in Christ, to sink even deeper into Christ. For our foundation already attached to Christ and founded upon him would be even more firmly attached. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would, in each of us, according to the things that we need uh, worked on, that you would work upon us. Would you guide this preacher? Would you chain him to your the, te the text that is your word so he might freely de declare truth with clarity, with accuracy, with understanding? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
last month when we started this last section on growing in the greater than, uh, we looked and saw that now we're shifting gears a little bit uh, in our study. We've been talking about the imperative of, of holding on to the greater than by faith, trusting Christ and that Christian life, as we saw in all these examples, is lived from faith. And that if they not seeing the thing that was promised in their lifetime, we now have seen because Christ has come. How much more do we have every reason to hold on to Christ? Now we're now moving to now from holding on to Christ. We have this race that is set before us, which includes living a life of holding on to Christ and growing in the likeness of Christ. And the goal here is to run the race well and to finish. To grow in him. The opening command of Hebrews chapter 12 Well, there's a lot of things in verses one and two. We see a lot of things that are in there, uh, but there's fundamentally just one command. Let us run this race. Everything else is telling us something about running that race, whether it would be the fact that we're surrounded by such a great cloud of those who have testified of God's faithfulness. That's what the cloud of witnesses is. Uh, whether it would be laying aside every weight and the sin which sings that that clings to us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, remembering that he endured much because of the joy that was set before him, remembering that he endured from sinners hostility against himself, uh, remembering and also recognizing that uh, also now looking at the fact that there's all sorts of things that we struggle with, all sorts of difficulties we face, and he frames all those difficulties, all the struggles in the framework of the fatherly care of God in his discipline and training of us. We looked at that last time. We looked at the discipline of the Lord. And we remember when we hear discipline, we oftentimes hear it primarily in terms of some sort of retribute, retributive discipline or retribution. That is, you did something wrong, so now you're going to get a spanking. And while is that, that is an element of the discipline, it is more than that. It is formative discipline as well. We looked at Job. Job, when God, when God put Job before Satan and said, take Job, my servant who fears me, Satan said, well, that's just because you take care of him and you protect him. Take off that protection. He will curse you. There was nothing that God was saying, my servant Job, he did this and I need this to happen. It was formative discipline. That is similar to those who have gone through military boot camp. There is a sense in which, uh, you know, they, those of you in boot camp would remember that whether or not you did what the drill instructor said, said to do, you were still going to do the push-ups or whatever, because it's formative and instructive. He would find a reason to make, give you push-ups. Formative and instructive. And it is also, we looked at it as fatherly care of discipline. We also saw the, uh, we also saw the the affirmation that discipline gives it it affirms our faith and we also saw the fruit 
of the fatherly discipline of our Lord. Now, built upon that, in light of all that, to remember all these difficulties and all these things that they were facing or even potentially face saying that this is your father and all of this is in his hands and everything he ordains is right. And in everything he is seeking to conform you to the image of his son from remember Romans eight twenty eight and 29. All things work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We often stop there and we say, OK, it works for my good, but we don't define what that good is. The text actually defines what that good is in the next verse. Moreover, for moreover, those whom he for uh, those whom he call those whom he foreknew, he also uh, <clears throat> those whom he, those whom he uh, those who before knew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. The very next verse. So those whom he called are those whom he predestined in his predestination. Part of that is conforming us to the image of his son. And that's the good he's working out is conforming us to the image of his son. In all things, he is working out his care, both in the things we would call, hey, this is good, and the things we would say, you know, I don't like this very much. He is working out his instruction for us. And it's not just a thing for new Christians, but it is a thing for new Christians and seasoned Christians, both immature and mature Christians. He is always training and instructing us. And in light of that, in verses 12 and 13, which is what we're going to be looking at today, we'll look at the uh, further things next week, um, simply because uh, time will escape us if we try to look at all today. But we'll see, he, he gives us two commands now based upon that in verses 12 and 13. It is, first of all, to strengthen or to lift up drooping hands and strengthen weak knees and to make straight paths for your feet. In light of that, in light of the fact that the potential for these difficulties that you may face, again, they had not faced the shedding of blood for their faith. And he says, and even in those difficulties, God is forming you. Therefore, look at this. You may find yourself weary and tired. You may find yourself weak and having and having to take a conscious effort to put one foot in front of the other and to lift that arm and do the thing that you need to do, spiritually speaking. I mean, there's also, there's also a physical illustration of this. He says, remember, God is for you in all these things. So therefore, he says, Lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. And then he also adds, make a straight path. When we think of drooping hands and weak knees, some of us may know full well what the idea of weak, weak knees or uh, drooping hands might be. I, some of us may have experienced knee injuries and uh, the idea of, of having to relearn how to walk and taking every step very carefully and going, oh, this is really hard. I don't know if I can do this. Or maybe after having spent a day uh, moving a bunch of things with the arms, and lifting heavy, just repetitive things, moving things. I think of people loading a boat and just moving, throwing the boxes one after another. After so long, the arms get tired. Saying, I don't know that I can do this anymore. And the arms get, get droopy. And that's the picture that's being painted. 
that in the light of difficulties that are being faced, these believers to whom the author of Hebrews was writing were saying, I think I'm ready just simply to be done with this and go back to the way things were. Just as Egypt wanted to go back, or Israel wanted to go back to Egypt after they had been delivered, saying, I just doing it with the easy way. This is a picture of someone who is looking at it saying, I'm done. I'm done. I can't take this anymore. I don't have any strength to give. And we all find ourselves at that point in different ways and at different times and in different contexts. Sometimes we might say, I don't know that I can take this anymore. And that's where some of these believers were at. They're weary. I happen to like this word drooping. There's a couple sermons that I really like from the 17th century. One of them says the, the eternal covenant, a sweet cordial for a drooping spirit. For someone who is emotionally drooping, you would say. Kind of like, you know, droopy the dog. Kind of, But spiritually speaking, being at that place. This actually calls to mind and is most likely a summary or uh, calls to mind to the reader who most likely were Jewish believers who would have been familiar with the Hebrew scriptures. A passage from Isaiah chapter 35 verses 3 through 7. Which it, it's actually a direct quote of the first part, which it says, strengthen the weak, weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water in the haunt of jackals where they lie down. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. So we hear all the various different things that he says here. He gives the exhortation to strengthen the weak knees, make firm the feeble knees. And then he says, God is going to come in his saving power. Now, we're not going to talk about that more this moment, but file that in your mind for a few minutes later. Okay? So we'll keep that in our mind for later. But what we have here is a picture of exhaustion, a picture of despondency, a picture of being stuck. Maybe you've done a workout before, physically speaking. You pushed yourself probably harder than you've ever pushed yourself, probably more than you should have. And you're at the end of the and you and you look at your your list of things you're to do and you can barely stand up because your legs are so have turned into jelly. And you can't pick up a you can't pick up your water because your hands can't close around it. Again, that's the picture that's being painted in terms of our walk with Christ, that we find ourselves exhausted with nothing left to give. 
tired of bearing up under the weight of difficulty in the fight against sin and in the trials and discipline of the Lord. We may find ourselves overcome with weariness. Earlier he said, do not that you might not grow weary in your weariness. That is, I don't know that I can take any more. Or ready to quit. But then, called to mind is this from earlier in the chapter. Looking to the Lord Jesus Christ, the founder or the, the author and finisher or the founder, the beginning and end of the faith who on account of the joy that was set before him endured the suffering to remember Christ and to remember the promise just as we have here in Isaiah 35 3 through 7 strengthen your weak hands make firm your feeble knees why because God is coming to save you and he has come to save us for Christ has come Christ has died Christ has risen Christ is coming again and so thus, there is an end that is in sight. And we have this glorious end. And with that glorious end in mind, gives us motivation to take that awful hard next step. We've gave the illustration of running a marathon. Every marathon runner that you interview, no matter how many marathons they have run, the moment they hit mile 18, it takes a conscious effort to take every step after that. That's every marathon, no matter how many they've run. In fact, marathon runners, they train up to 18 miles and don't run any more in their training. Because if you can run 18, you can run 26. But it takes a conscious effort after that point because don't think the human body was designed to run 26 miles in one sitting. <laughs> it could have been, though. But also remembering the greater than, looking to him who is the greater than, who is greater than all these things that came before and who is greater than the difficulty facing us and who is greater than our weakness. And to acknowledge our weakness. Not live in denial of it. Oh, how often. And we must remember the fatherly care of God's discipline. God is working in us and seeking our good in all of these things. Conforming us to the image of Christ, confirming our faith, pointing us to Jesus Christ. Which is the most important thing in our life. And how often we feel we have to put on a happy, clappy face and say everything is fine. Because then how would people then view us? They would see that we're not all put together. They would see that, oh, I'm not actually this uh, perfect image of, of everything being just right. In seminary, I had a, uh, 
I had a job that put me through seminary and my boss was a believer and he came up to me one day and said, we had this couple who, he said, they seem to have a really happy marriage. They're close friends of us and everything was going great. And they're leaders in the church and really active and they're models of what a good family should be. He came up to me on Sunday after church and said, we're getting a divorce. You see, they put on the happy, clappy face and covered everything up. Imagine if they had simply been honest with people and said, we need help. Rather, we must be vulnerable, be be willing to show our authentic place. In the men's study, there's uh, some passages that stuck out to me at the end of this, this uh, current chapter we're in, towards the end. They say, have you considered the fact, and this is writing to, um, from the standpoint of pastoring, but have you ever considered the fact that on the average Sunday, pastors minister to congregations of people whose lives are marked and often marred by quiet desperation? Sadly, some churches have become very skilled at masking all this with with promises of victory and a life beyond reach of pain and sorrow. That is, if we have got pain or sorrow, we've deceived ourselves into thinking that the Father has turned away from us or that there is something lacking in our faith. Thus, we become weary and we stop trying because our faith is not strong enough. All we're doing when we do that, when we say, it's not a problem, I'm okay, when we're not, and really we're not. That's just putting masking tape to cover something in hopes no one knows that it's there. Sort of like in a woodworking project. No matter how hard I try to make something perfect, the router bit suddenly suddenly digs in a little more than it should have. And I do everything I can to cover it up. But every time I look at it, what do I see? We are all incredibly broken, incredibly overwhelmed, incredibly shattered, and incredibly sorted. How we need to hear this, come and feed upon the wellspring of grace and find strengthening for our drooping arms and our weak knees. In our weariness, in our despondency, in our struggle against sin, in our struggle to keep holding on to Christ. Our Lord sympathizes with us in our weakness. Hebrews four, fourteen through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may, find, we may receive mercy and find grace in our help in time of need to strengthen our weak knees to lift up our drooping arms is to say that we need the throne of grace 
We need that throne that goes, that, that goes before us that we might find that strength to lift up our hands and our knees. And as we'll see in a moment, to do so in such a way that we don't set them out of joint. Hebrews 10, 19-26 tells us about uh, some things. It says, therefore, regarding this, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. He gave four exhortations there. Uh, Remember when we were looking at that. Let us draw near, let us hold fast, and let us consider. And then there's an operator in there at the end of the end of it that kind of says, and in this context, it is necessary not neglecting to assemble together. That the one another aspect is vitally important to this in our regular meeting together. Even this involves one another in the following passages, as we're going to see, like verse 14. It says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now, verse 15, it all reads this, seeing to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. And when we get there, notice that's not a matter of just private, personal piety. That is, that is piety that involves one another. Pursue peace with all men and pursue the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Seeing to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. That that is something that it's not just about my private pursuit. But we'll get there in the next week. I don't want to steal my future thunder. But listen to this song, brothers and sisters. You have a few songs we're going to hear today. The lyrics to. Just but before that, my brother and sister, let us remember this with our weary arms, with our weak knees, that there is room for us at his feet. There is room for us at his throne of grace. Hear the words from Anne Steele. Dear refuge of my weary soul on thee when sorrows rise, on thee when waves of trouble roll, my fainting hope relies. To thee I tell each rising grief, for thou alone can heal. Thy word can bring a sweet relief for every pain I feel. But oh, when gloomy doubts prevail, I fear to call thee mine. The springs of comfort seem to fail, and all my hopes decline. Yet gracious God, where shall I flee? You are my only trust, and still my soul would cleave to thee, though prostrate in the dust. Hast thou not bid me seek thy face, and shall I seek in vain? And can the ear of sovereign grace be deaf when I complain? No, still the ear of sovereign grace attends the mourner's prayer. Well, may I ever find access to breathe my sorrow there. Thy mercy seat is open still. Here let my soul retreat. With humble hope attend thy will, and wait beneath thy feet.
And so when we find ourselves overcome with weariness and what we would just say, I'm tired, I'm tuckered, I'm done, I just, I can't do it anymore. Let us remember that. He is our refuge and there is room for us. And he is our strength. In fact, it is in our weakness that we see his strength. Another aspect of this, what we call despondency, that is being weighed down and maybe weighed down by various different things, maybe the cares of this life, or feeling, feeling the pain and the guilt of our own sinfulness. Often we may be reluctant to go to our Father when we ourselves weigh, are weighed down with such things saying, I cannot look, I cannot bring my face to look up to you. For I have this that I have done. I have this that I struggle with, with which I struggle. I have, I can't, I cannot go before, I cannot go before you. But our Father just as the father in the parable of the product of the of the prodigal son which i actually think that's poorly named i prefer to call it the parable of the loving father because it says more about the it's more about the father's response than it is about the son just as its two pre- previous two parables were about the reaction of the shepherd to the lost sheep and the reaction to the woman who lost her coin Here we have the reaction of the father to the lost son. Who the son who in his guilt for what he has done says, I'm going to go home to where I know my father is, but I cannot ask to be restored to sonship, but I will beg to be a servant. And he goes. And the father runs out to him. And says, I will have none of that, my son. Because you are my son. So people of God, when we find ourselves weighed down with such things, we have every reason to run to the Father. Is there grace for one such as I? Yes, there is. We have every reason to repent and turn to the Father. And accept the forgiveness that is ours in Christ Jesus. Hear the words, Christ, the sure and steady anchor, while the tempest rages on, when temptation claims the battle and it seems the night has won, deeper still then goes the anchor. Though I justly stand accused, I will hold fast to the anchor. It shall never be removed. Our sin is great, but the grace of God is far greater. So let not the knowledge of our sin be a reason to stop moving. Let not the knowledge or the weight of things or the cares of this world weigh us down such that we cannot keep moving. For these too shall pass. For he says, cast aside every weight. There's a greater anchor with greater grace. And even in, our, even in our struggles and our suffering and our difficulties, God in His goodness is at work in His fatherly care and affection for us.
another reason for such weak knees and droopy arms might be that we are simply stuck in some way or another, maybe blinded by sin, bearing the weight of things that slow us down. Not just simply, this is not simply being um, weighed down by the guilt of sin, saying, I am not worthy to go to the Father. No, we're not. Christ, Christ qualifies us. But this is, we are in, in sin and we are, we are cherishing sin in some way or another. Sin blinds us and takes our eyes away from our good Father. And it's very devious and deceptive. But let us remember our Father is always drawing us to Himself to bring us more into the image of His Son. In repentance of sin, by be casting it off, being accountable, being accepting and receiving of God's grace. Remember, Christianity is a life of repentance from faith that unites us to Christ. We begin repenting the moment we begin our union with Christ. It's not a single act, but it is a lifetime. We enter into a battle in which we were not before we became to Christ, came to Christ. It was not a battle in which we were engaged, but it becomes a serious battle. And so let us again go to him in our repentance, seeking that not only would he refresh us in his forgiveness, but that he might renew our minds and hearts, that we might more faithfully serve him. Let us remember these words. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you full of pity, love and power. I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms, in the arms of my dear Savior. Oh, there are ten thousand charms. Come ye thirsty, come and welcome God's free bounty. Glorify true belief and true repentance, every grace that brings you nigh. Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms. In the arms of my dear Savior, oh, there are 10,000 charms. And here's another verse. See him prostate in the garden, on the ground, your maker lies. On the bloody tree, behold him, sinner, will this not suffice? And this is not just words that Joseph Hart wrote for unbelievers. He wrote it for believers too. To not tarry and go to him for our strengthening. We find strength in the means that God has given us in his word, in the preaching of his word, in the fellowship of the saints here with each other, in the prayers, in his ordinances, baptism, the Lord's Supper, and even in our trials, means of grace by which God ministers to us. Let us remember in our being strengthened and lifting up our droopy arms and strengthening our weak knees. To remember this, what our only comfort is in life and death. It's that we, I, I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. 
He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. He has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. That's our comfort in life and death and and the fact that we don't belong to ourselves but belong to Christ, that he's always at work, that no longer does our sin keep us from God and that he works in us to make us willing and ready to live for him. Keeps us, gives us every reason to lift up that weak arm, to keep that weak knee moving because Christ is our strength. He then also gives another command to make straight paths for your feet. This also is a quote, direct quote from the Old Testament. Uh, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 26, at least the first part of the proverb. Uh, It's actually uh, more of a quote from the um, Septuagint, ancient Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. And a translator from the Septuagint, it says, make straight paths for your feet and your way will be directed. And also the ESV translates the Hebrew, ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Have you ever had, as we mentioned earlier, a weak knee or an injured ankle? If you have, you probably know or a foot that was in extreme pain. Every little uneven spot or a floor suddenly becomes noticeable. When I hurt my knee, little things I didn't notice before, little changes, tiny little divots in the floor, suddenly became mountains to me. Every little twist or curve is a clear and present danger to me remain to us remaining standing. The idea of turning a corner around a curve, thinking you have to plan it out well in advance and how it's going to happen because of the weakness of the joint. Or consider a lame a lame or drooping arm, an injured a weak arm such as someone having what's known as tennis elbow, which is an inflamed tendon right around right here. And what that affects, if you try to grab something and pick it up, it suddenly hurts and you feel weak. And it becomes an effort just to grab a cup of water and bring it up to your lips. The littlest lift becomes a chore. But we must remember in and of ourselves, this is our default state on our own. We need a path to be made straight for us. We do not, cannot, he's saying here, do not in lifting up your arms, in in strengthening your weak knees, don't make your own path. Don't follow the wisdom of your own ways. 
rather follow a path that has been made straight. And where is that path found? Listen to the words of Psalm 119, verses 105 through 112. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my free will offering of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. All around us, the psalmist is saying, there are things that are aiming to trip him up and enemies that are aiming to trip him up, to damage, to carry the metaphor, his knees. To make his knees lame. And so how can he see where those traps are? That is to see where the clear path is. He needs a light. And what does he say? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That is, we must be ingrained with God's truth. That is what makes our path straight. Is to be guided by truth. To be guided by the truth of Christ Jesus, the one who is the greater than, to whom all of Scripture, which is God's word, points us to keep our eyes on him and that great hope for which we long, such that these things, whatever those things are, become small and smaller and smaller. Occupy less headspace for us. But to follow the wrong path, to be our own light, to be our own guide, is to invite the weariness, to invite the despondency, to invite the sin to overtake us. I mentioned Hebrews uh, 10, verses 19 through 25. Again, we need one another. When we seek God's word, we must never think, we are the best Bible read that I am I or you is the that I I am or you are the best Bible reader ever. Rather, we must read the Bible with one another and learn together, as we read from Hebrews 9, 10, 19 through 25, not neglecting the assembling of yourselves together. I have grave concern for those who think they can do it all by themselves and that there's not a church that's worthy of them. Speak to someone who hasn't, over my years pastoring, spoken to people who haven't graced the doors of the church for years. Say... Where have you been? They said, well, I've got this and this and this and that, but I'm in the word every day and I'm listening to your sermons. said, great, I'm glad you're in the word every day and I'm glad you're listening to my sermons, but you're still doing it by yourself and you're becoming a clear and you are becoming a clear and present danger to your own spiritual health. If we try to discern truth by ourselves, we are setting ourselves up 
for being made lame. We're going to see that in coming weeks in this section. So, brothers and sisters, things get hard. Things get difficult. The discipline and instruction and and, uh, training of the Lord, even though it is with God's fatherly care, even though it is with God's uh, affirmation of our faith and our union with him, even though things are just difficult in varying degrees, Remember, you might look at someone's difficulty and say, I don't know why that's so hard for them. What's easy for you might be very, very difficult for another. And what's difficult for you might be very easy for that person. That is, in God's discipline and instruction, even though he is working for our good doesn't mean that in the moment as it affirms there, it's easy or pleasant. But in closing, brothers and sisters, we have every reason to hear that even in that, we have every reason to lift our drooping hands, to strengthen our weak knees, to make straight paths for our feet continuing to be guided by his truth because brothers and sisters, God is working for us, for our good, for his glory, because he has riches laid in store for us. So we have every reason to take, and even though it may seem to take everything that we have to keep trusting, to keep repenting, to keep coming and crying to the Lord. At the end of the road, there is far far more glory than we could ever imagine. So let us keep moving on that straight path. Let us pray. Father, blessed be your name, who has redeemed us, who has saved us, who has brought us safely into your harbors through Christ Jesus. We pray that you'd help us, that we might continue growing, holding on to Christ, coming to you you through him, knowing that because of him, there is a place for us and that you will receive us and find strength in our time of need. We pray these things, our Father, in Jesus' name, amen.